0: to Rasafari around the world.
1: One of my friends said
0: that, oh, I didn't know pandas came in red. Hello, I'm John Rossi. I'm a touring drummer with a love for all things animal. When I'm on the road, I spend as much time as possible visiting zoos, aquariums, rescues, and rehab facilities. Now, I want to share those places with you. I'll be talking to keepers, vets, conservationists, volunteers, anyone who is as passionate about animals as I am. Join me on my Ross Safari. Hello, greetings, namaste. Welcome back to the only podcast with a host that has a segment dedicated to interrupting himself, the Ross Safari podcast. Y'all... I've been working on making this episode happen for months now. Since Red Pandas first became a passion of mine, I have been a fan of today's guest. Gunjan Menon is a conservation filmmaker whose short film, The Firefox Guardian, is a beautiful story of hope and overcoming obstacles. Gunjan traveled to Nepal to film Manuka, the first ever female forest guardian with Red Panda Network. In just around 15 minutes, Gunjan manages to tell the incredible story of Minuka overcoming societal norms to gain her position, their multiple-week quest to attempt to see a juvenile red panda in the wild, and the plight and hopes of the species at large. It is a powerful bit of filmmaking. Gunjan has also done many other conservation projects, including filming for Discovery, Nat Geo, and the BBC. Her resume is incredible, and her work and passion have made me a fan for years, which is what made it so amazing when I started talking to her and discovered that Gunjan is also just a really cool and fun human. We laughed a lot while recording this episode. In fact, her Rasafari poop story might be the most shocked I've been at one yet. Also, Due to the crazy time difference between Pennsylvania and India, and the fact that Gunjan and I both keep non-traditional schedules, we realized the best way to make this happen was for me to stay up really late, her to wake up a little early, and just sacrifice some sleep for content. So, we did. And, since this isn't a video podcast, we were both just hanging out in our comfies having a good time. That's right, y'all. I got to have a virtual pajama party with a person I've admired for years. There have been many times since starting this podcast that I just have to step back and laugh and marvel at what my life has become. And this was definitely one of those moments. And y'all, if you're listening to this on the day it came out, February 11th, I get to have another one of those moments tonight and I want to share it with all of you. At 7 p.m. Eastern and again at 10 p.m. Eastern, I am going to be hosting a live screening of the Firefox Guardian on my Facebook page. Yep, that's right. I get to bring this amazing movie to you. It's totally free, and uh, there's going to be a little talking before and afterwards by yours truly. So uh, make sure you tune in because it is going to be amazing. And if you're hearing this after the fact, hey, let me know. If there are enough of you, I may be able to set up even another screening. So yeah, keep me posted. This episode stretches beyond just talking about red pandas, as we get into what life is like when filming in the wild, ecofeminism, and some of the other incredible conservation stories Gunjan has shared with the world, including tales of sea turtles and king cobras. Oh, and don't worry if you haven't seen the Firefox Guardian or any of Gunjan's work at all yet, this episode totally works as a standalone experience. One thing to note about this episode, originally Gunjan was recording her audio separately from the Zoom feed, but her voice recorder stopped working about halfway through the episode. We didn't lose any content, but the second half of the interview is using her Zoom audio, which is inferior, but it it still sounds good. No worries. Oh, also, she says one naughty word. You've been warned, but I think you'll be okay. So, grab your comfiest PJs, grab a pillow and a blanket, cuddle up with a stuffed red panda, and join my interview and pajama party with Gunjan Menon, conservation filmmaker and director of the Firefox Guardian. All right. So tell me who you are and what you do.
1: Hi, John. My name is Gunjan. I'm from India, and I'm a conservation filmmaker.
0: Yes, you are. And I just have to tell you, I am so excited to be talking to you. Um, your your film, uh, The Firefox Guardian, uh, is beautiful and incredible, and I love it. And um, I'm so excited to talk about it and the other work that you do um but i just i have to tell you i am a
1: fan <laughs> thank you so much that means a lot to me that's so sweet of you of
0: course of course so uh let's let's talk about you a little bit how did you get into this world
1: <laughs> i think um I was into the wildlife world ever since I was a kid. I used to, uh, my mother tells me that I, when I was three, I used to be obsessed with this uh, book about the rainforests, and I used to love watching uh, all these wonderful animals that nobody had in my family had even heard about. And I used to just keep uh, reading through them. And I was a fan of uh, birds of paradise before. Uh, I knew who Cinderella was, so I, I mean, it was very unlike other kids my age. But um, I grew up watching a lot of documentaries, and I loved uh, movies, I loved photography. And as a kid, I used to just keep running around with my dad's camera trying to click squirrels and uh sparrows in my backyard. So I think uh, as I grew up, I wanted to combine these two passions of mine and sort of... Uh, Become a wildlife filmmaker. But what pushed me to become a conservation filmmaker was the fact that I realized uh, when I was a teenager that I grew up in a bubble. All these wildlife films that I was seeing were showing our natural world as perfectly fine these beautiful wild spaces and there's nothing wrong with them and suddenly when I started reading about all these um, cuddly polar bears that were not so okay right the polar ice caps were melting and everything was wrong with the world and I was like shit nobody told me about this so that's when I realized okay the kind of stories that I want to tell should be more uh, truthful should I mean not necessarily doom and gloom, but show like stories of hope or stories about people working really hard at the grassroots to protect these species. But at the center of it, truthful conservation stories about species that people can fall in love with. And I think that reflects in the kind of work I do now.
0: It it really does. And that's that's awesome. I always say it's the tough part of conservation is that it has to start off bad or else you have nothing to conserve. So every story is going to start off with a, a sad tale. Um, but, <laughs> but finding the beauty and the joy in it is, is so essential to making people not feel hopeless. And and that's something I feel that you do incredibly well.
1: Yeah, thank you. It's really, because people think of conservation as these sad Uh, dreary stories that nobody wants to watch, but I think uh, I want to put a spin on them so that even people outside our circle can watch and that's what happened with the Firefox Guardian. I was preaching beyond the choir. A lot of different new audiences were able to watch it because of the genre I've made. It's not like a traditional documentary and uh, that's what I've tried with other films as well and it's worked really well for me so far.
0: That's awesome. So what inspired you to do to follow this story like how did you get started with the firefox guardian
1: right so i was supposed to make a film for my degree project in bristol i was uh, pursuing my masters of wildlife filmmaking in bristol and we were supposed to make a short um, 10 to 15 minute film about anything that we wanted to make and i was uh really obsessed with red pandas at the time. And I'd been reading a lot about uh, their conservation status, which had just changed to endangered from vulnerable at the time. And I was like, okay, this is uh, really bad. My favorite animals and nobody even uh, knows about them. And when I told people I wanted to make a film about red pandas, um, one of my friends said that, oh, I didn't know pandas came in red. So (laughs) people, (laughs) so uh that's the kind of awareness uh, it, uh that i found um the lack of awareness that i observed at the time uh made me realize that okay first i need people to know about red pandas and for that i need a strong enough story and uh with the limited budget and time i have as a student i wouldn't be able to make like a proper behavior film i need a strong story to tell this really important story about Red Panda. So then I started doing my research. And uh, through my research, I came across this blog article on Red Panda Network's website, which was titled, uh, The Changing Role of Women in Red Panda Conservation. So there, there was this one photograph with um, this first female forest guardian surrounded by like, a dozen men. And that caught my eye instantly. And um, I read the article and somebody had quoted Menuka saying that I just, uh, I'll do anything for Red Pandas. And I'm like, Oh, my God, this is the woman I want to tell my story through. So then I started getting in touch with Red Panda Network. I wrote to them and Like, please let me come down to Nepal. I want to tell the story. I want to focus on your forest guardians. It's such a wonderful story and it will be uh, really amazing for us. And they were more than happy to support me. They organized everything and uh, we just landed there. The funny thing was that uh I'd never spoken to Menuka before actually going there uh because we don't speak the same language she's never been on camera before so she do- she didn't even know <laughs> what to do and it was <laughs> such a beautiful experience but uh I'm so glad I chanced upon that article because that truly shaped the entire story
0: that's oh that's so incredible um how how did you get over the language barrier
1: Yeah, I think uh, that was the hardest uh, hitch at the first because um, she speaks only Nepali and I, the only two languages I know are Hindi and English. So we were just not able to communicate. So Red Panda Network um, had given us a translator, but then what was happening was that uh, things were getting lost in translation and I was getting very uh, standard responses from her because she didn't know what we were trying to do, right? She didn't understand why I was interested in how she feels it was more about she's like yeah we're doing this work we're, we're very happy those are the kind of responses usually uh reporters ask right like are you happy doing what you're doing so she had those standard set of answers on the first day and I said okay this is not working out and then we put the camera aside and we just went on treks. So we bonded over our love for red pandas we just spent time with her for the first 3 days we didn't do anything we didn't shoot anything with her then on the 5th day I shot into like the uh, main interview with her and by then we had just bonded over a love for red pandas we were just so happy and she could share really uncomfortable personal stories of her life and I think that's really important when you're trying to tell uh, a story from the grassroots like someone's personal life you spend you give them enough time to get comfortable to you and the camera and uh that uh bond just i think we just loved red panda so we used to talk in sign languages and somehow she just understood everything uh i was saying and somehow i got a gist of what she was saying we had translators with like the exact verbatim uh, tra- uh Conversation, but uh, it just didn't feel like we were speaking different languages. That's what red panda love does to you, I guess.
0: That is so beautiful. I'm I'm blown away by that. Um, How long did you shoot for? (laughs) If you could just take three days to just get to know her, how long was your shoot?
1: We were there for just two weeks, but this was important to me, so I I uh, didn't mind not. Uh, shooting the interviews uh, then, but also, it's we couldn't afford to not shoot at all, so we were uh, filming the landscapes, we were filming uh time lapses and the area where she lived, talking to her mother, and things like those.
0: Very cool, and so it was a two week uh shoot for uh roughly a 15 minute movie, right?
1: Mm-hmm, Yeah.
0: That's uh, that's a whole lot of time for for fifteen minutes. What was the end of the process? No, it's process? not
1: enough at all. Really? In fact, really? no, that's wow. very less. <laughs> <laughs> and the only reason we were there just for that little was because I was a broke student and I couldn't afford anything else apart from getting more days. And that's very less. If you're trying to find a red panda, people, locals there, some of the locals there had not seen a red panda in their lives of like 20 years of staying there so m- this uh, attempt of mine to go and like just hop in there and try and see a red panda immediately was very ambitious and finding a red panda in the wild is extremely difficult as I'm sure you know so <laughs> this uh, 15 days were not enough to make the story but uh, coming back to your question we edited for <laughs> we edited for 9 months <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's incredible to me. That's just amazing. Um, It is all uh, wildlife and conservation filmmaking like that, where it just takes so long because you have to get just the right shot and just get that animal in the right moment or whatever.
1: Yeah, so animals don't follow a script. So given (laughs) a proper budget, uh, we would ideally film for months to get this one particular behavior or or one particular sequence. So, uh, of course, we don't always have those kind of shiberties. So sometimes we have to get our uh, stuff in a week. But then that shows in the quality. Like, you won't get really intimate sequences. So an ideal duration would be at least a month to get some particular behavior that you're chasing but of course if you're looking for animals like red pandas and snow leopards i know people have shot for years and then gotten the sequences to tell a story
0: wow that's that's amazing i never i never thought of that um my my main career is that i'm a musician and a a stage actor and um Yeah, it's hard enough to get humans to do the right thing on stage with the script, so I can't even imagine what it's like (laughs) with animals. So I I have to ask, I know that you loved red pandas before doing this, but had you seen a red panda in a zoo or anything before this? You're shaking your head no. Wait, so you're- Never, never. Uh,
1: That was my first.
0: (laughs) Your first red panda was in the wild in Nepal.
1: Ah. I'm so jealous. Yes, first Red Panda ever was what I see in the film. So I think that uh, that also translates in the film because the first shot of the Red Panda, when it comes, when they actually find it, uh, makes people go like... Uh, people breaking into oohs and ahs and all after watching that, and that's exactly what I felt. I was in tears, and I forgot I had to film. But I tried to recreate that moment in the film because I knew that's how I felt after seeing a red panda. I think it works. It's it was so beautiful. I was totally mesmerized. Oh, I can't.
0: I can't even imagine. I've I've spent a lot of time with red pandas in zoos, but it is an absolute dream to get to Nepal and and see see them in the wild.
1: Nepal or India, they're like found in India as well. So come, come. We will show you red pandas here.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'll come hang out. We'll have fun. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Definitely.
0: It's time for Interrupting. 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 Interrupting, John. Mm. Hey, y'all, thought you might find this interesting. So according to a recent publication of the Zoological Survey of India, both types of red pandas actually live in India. That's right. The fulgens and styani are separated by the Siang River. Before this, there was definitely thought to be more of a distance between the ranges of the two species or subspecies. We're not getting into that whole debate again. All right. Back to the interview. So let's let's move away from from firefox guardian for a minute here i'm sure i'll come back to it because oh, i'm mm-hmm. a nerd. um but i i was reading some stuff about you online and i see the term mm-hmm. echo feminism used a lot when talking about you and your work um tell me about that
1: mhm yeah right so um so women are at the center of conservation, like at the grassroots, uh, especially within the local communities. They're the ones who are going out into the forest to collect firewood for their families, for uh, for their food. And they're the ones who encounter wildlife. So, And they're so uh, interdependent uh, with nature that... Um, they're the ones who actually care about them more. And this whole movement of even showing uh, Menuka's passion uh, about how she's conserving red pandas, this has started a whole dialogue about ecofeminism feminism and how women have been ignored like nature since centuries. And uh, you need to reclaim uh, the space because that's how a change... Uh, will start. And um, I think again we're circling back to the Firefox Guardian but I think that's what the film does as well. Uh, it doesn't just talk about red pandas, it's also talking about ecofeminism also talking about role of women at the grassroots level role of women in uh, protecting a species and how uh, she had to struggle to uh, get the job and work breaking the barriers of society where people in her village used to tell her that uh, you you should just stay in the kitchen and cook. And that's something that even uh, we feel here across borders. And just breaking through those barriers and working in conservation has made so much has Brought so much difference to this one species. So, imagine if uh, marginalized or like women who are discriminated against everywhere are just able to work uh, where they want to, and uh, imagine the kind of difference it's going to make. So, uh, I think uh, that's what I've tried to tell uh, through this film and like through other work also I focused on a lot of uh, women-centric um, animal heroes and other stuff that I've done there was this um, woman who is so passionate about bats in my city uh, so we made like a little story with her uh, so that she could raise funds for uh, rehabilitating bats she cares for bats in her home and like as to rare mealworms at home, like this, under a bed, so it's like a crazy story. So, uh, yeah, so I think I've met some really incredible uh, women through through this this uh, profession, and I wanted to keep highlighting and talking about their role in conservation.
0: Very cool. Yeah, that, that is very important. I have noticed just through my podcast that there are a lot of women who are really passionate about conservation. And um yeah, I think I, I've tried to highlight a lot of a lot of those people on my podcast and including you. And I think it's uh it's it's just I, I don't understand barriers like that. I was just not raised to think that women or people of color or any of that stuff are any less and Mm -hmm. um good for you for for trying to bring more awareness to that that's that's awesome that's really cool um you you seem to have
1: yeah and do you do
0: (laughs) thank you 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 seem you're young but you seem to have a really developed (laughs) sense of who you are and what you want to be and and what your passions are and you just you seem like an old soul in the best way possible
1: <laughs> I think um, that's probably when it comes to my work but otherwise I feel I have a heart of a 16 year old <laughs> but no you're right uh, I think even as a young girl I always knew what I wanted to do and uh, just been working towards it and I think when you're doing something you're so passionate about, things just start getting even more crystal clear. And um, through the impact that my films have been making, it just sort of puts the nail even harder that this is what I want to keep doing uh, my entire life. This is what I'll give my life to. So I think uh, that's where the <laughs> old soul vibe is coming from. <laughs>
0: Oh, and I I see your Instagram. I know that outside of work, you like to party, you like to have fun. I've I've seen those dancing vids and all kinds of stuff. Um, no, I I think you're onto something there, though. Where when you really do what you love and you know that you're in the right place, because um, I'm I'm fortunate enough to to have that as well. Then you're right. When when you're off work, so to speak, you're you're not stressed, you're not frustrated, and so you're able to be a 16 year old and, and have fun. And what, why act your age if you are, if you're feeling good and feeling young, you know what I mean? And I, think, I, I honestly think Absolutely. that, I think that if more people could follow their passion, the world would be a happier place, you know?
1: happier place if more people could be empathetic then we would have no problems at all Uh, I think that's what I've realized through all these uh, years that empathy isn't as common as we thought it's just because we are empathetic people we thought oh everyone thinks like this right like this is just common but common sense and empathy aren't as common as we want them to be (laughs) so that's the root cause of most of our problems but I guess we'll deal through that
0: (laughs) yeah we're trying yeah
1: so <laughs> we're trying, t- <laughs> so um, I know that you did a
0: a film about the uh the conservation effort for all of Ridley sea turtles. Tell me about mm-hmm. that. I love sea turtles they they are my other favorite animal after after red pandas. so tell me about that film <laughs> a little bit and and what you found that community doing
1: so interestingly, that wasn't a film, it was a new format that we were trying. it was actually um story for Instagram. So actually like the Instagram stories, but it was a film format story told through those Instagram stories that was for BBC Earth. And uh, this was to support the Blue Planet Live 2 broadcast that was happening in the United Kingdom. So I was... uh, showing them what was happening here in my country in india there was this uh wonderful community um uh, in the western on the western coast of india uh, in a small village called velas uh and where what they do is they protect the olive ridley sea turtle nests uh when um uh, the sea turtle mums come and lay eggs on their beach and um they protect them and they build like a little uh, fence around them so that no wild dogs or animals can come harm them. Or like people also, like earlier 99% of the eggs used to get stolen. So now they've afforded protection to the eggs. And once the eggs hatch, they help them get back to the sea. They release them back to the sea. And that day, like that whole month when the eggs hatch, because they hatch according to when they were laid so... That whole period when they hatch, they celebrate it as the turtle festival. And this is the first time where like a local community is celebrating a festival, which uh, people from even the cities um, go and celebrate. And we have enough festivals that cause a lot of harm to wildlife. But this is one of a kind which celebrates the birth of a baby turtle. So I... Wanted to show this story to the world, so we went there and captured the hatching of baby turtles. And everyone was so excited. There were people just there to watch little turtles make their way, uh, to the sea. And it's incredible how they just know the hatchlings right after hatching know that they have to make their way to the sea. There's and, uh, the female turtles would return back after 16 years to the same beach or like uh, the same coast uh, somewhere to lay their eggs. So it's just nature is incredible and um, that I met some wonderful people there who uh, when they're patrolling for collecting the uh, eggs, they have to walk on the beaches for like uh, 3 a.m., 4 a.m. just uh, looking uh, for eggs, looking for mothers. uh, laying eggs and it's just they're so passionate that they don't think of it as a job it's just uh, one of them that I spoke to uh, the main forest ranger there he said that as a a kid he used to consume turtle eggs for protein because they didn't know better but once this organization came and told them that how endangered these olive ridley turtles were and how they really need our help uh, to protect them so that uh, because we've gone and made settlements there right they had been using this this beach for centuries so uh then he said that this sort of helps me uh redeem myself and i really enjoy doing this so that i can wash away my sins of the past it was just <laughs> such a beautiful little uh, story um and the format through the format uh, because it was just Instagram stories and they were very new that time so we could just reach so many people like millions within 24 hours and that kind of reach and support uh was something that I hadn't experienced before and that was really interesting how people across the world were getting so excited about these turtles hatching in India and was <laughs> that was really amazing
0: that's awesome. Are you always looking for for ways to incorporate new technology uh, to get your your message out?
1: Yeah. So stories and now reels, and I think it's these are just um, mediums to get the new generation and more people involved in what we're doing. Because if only scientists are watching my films, then I'm not achieving anything. I need to get people outside our. Uh, circle to watch these and new technologies even in terms of cameras we're always finding ways to tell the story better find newer uh ways to tell the story if if it's the same story then what how can we tell the story better that's always um, on our minds uh, recently i saw this beautiful uh, vr documentary which was on snow leopards and this is made by riverbank studios and um, this Habitat XR um, company, and they had these, installed these 360-degree uh, VR cameras uh, in the Himalayas and these, they're telling stories of how these snow lepers used the land and there were these beautiful cubs who were so close, like if you look at that in a VR headset, you'll feel like you're right there. And then they also told the story of how tourists are polluting that place. So when you're standing on a garbage dump and looking around uh, through a VR headset that you're actually there and this is the same place where uh, snow leopards roam, then that the kind of impact that has and the ability to emotionally move uh, someone through that is very powerful. And I think that's a really interesting way as well to tell stories.
0: Wow! Yeah, that's that's very cool. I love that. Um... Yeah. Oh, I can't even imagine living that story like that. That's, that's a really cool idea. Nice. Um, so tell me about beyond premieres.
1: I think, uh, after a couple of films of mine and when I realized that the the award trophies are just sitting on the shelf and they mean nothing compared to the actual impact that the films are making. And, how much joy like it would bring me to just see maybe a little girl across the ocean say that I want to be a conservationist like Menuka or I want to protect uh, sea turtles after seeing my stuff. So then I realized the power of storytelling and I wanted to share this feeling with others that why can't we just make films that are more than films why can't we support it with an impact campaign so that we're actually creating a tangible difference so then I started this organization with my husband called Beyond Premiers where uh, we connect filmmakers to grassroots organizations or help them with uh, legal teams uh, connect help connect them to legal teams that can actually bring about policy change that they're looking for with their stories. And uh because why shouldn't they share the same joy that I feel after making every film that when when you're able to and more than education and awareness. I mean, as standalone films, we can definitely use them for education and awareness. But if you like you you don't even have to work that hard. You already have all the material. If you just go a step further with it, you can actually make a direct impact on conservation, direct tangible uh, impact there are so many ways that you can have as a filmmaker so that's something that I wanted to uh, popularize more uh, here in India so uh, and I don't think anyone's been doing this a lot here it's not uh, as people don't even know what impact campaigns are so we're probably gonna uh, start this new generation of filmmakers who are thinking about the impact their films will make even before starting production so that way they're thinking in that direction and it's uh, going to help uh, a lot with conservation directly so let's see let's see how that goes
0: you are just you are so inspirational that's that's just really cool (laughs) i love that that's awesome um, now I, I know you mentioned your husband. Uh, does he also participate in in your films and in conservation, or you know, does he go work a nine to five at an office somewhere? What's what's his deal?
1: No, he he's a um, um, filmmaker as well. But he does more commercial stuff. But every time uh I'm I want to tell a conservation story and I don't get the budgets for it, then I have a free uh cinematographer that I can <laughs> pull his who I'm not gonna pay. <laughs> but uh but uh no, we've uh, recently shot a series together. I did uh pull him into Wildlife. Uh, Nepotism there, but <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, we filmed this uh, wonderful series in this lesser-known um, wildlife national park in India and uh, wildlife sanctuary. There's this wildlife sanctuary called Kumbalgarh, which uh, a lot of people don't know about, and it has some incredible wildlife if you are just patient enough. So we're telling some. Uh, it's a seven-part series from that area. So uh, for uh, a digital audience only, but we went and shot there for 15 days and then uh, from those uh, 15 days of shoot we're making like seven uh, episodes seven short episodes for this digital channel called round Glass sustain and uh, through those stories we're like also dubbing them in local languages so that it can reach a wider audience and people who live there can actually see what's in their backyard like they are these leopards in their backyard so let them so that they can also access these stories. Otherwise, uh, these stories never reach where they're actually meant to reach. So I think uh, that's uh, one effort. And uh, one of these stories is really beautiful. It's about this forest guard who's extremely passionate about photography on the side. So he goes around the forest, and because he has this access... uh, of being inside a forest all the time he has some he's captured some incredible animal behavior and he's like he just gets better every single day so we started off by um before going I thought it will just be a story about a f- day in the life of a forest guard but after meeting him I saw that he was so passionate and um uh, just charismatic that then the story became about how he fell in love with wildlife and how he became a the photographer despite being a forest stranger. so that that uh, that's a fun one that's i think my favorite one in the series nice, but yeah there. coming back to your question he yeah whatever these uh if i'm directing then um both of us shoot i get him to shoot and then he ed- edits the film sometimes because I, I edit as well, but I don't enjoy it as much as he does. So I just give it off to him, and he's a better editor. So I'm a better director. He's a better editor. So we just, when we work in a team, is just easier.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. That's that's really cute. I love that. Very cool. <laughs> um, you guys living in India, you've, you've probably seen some some really cool animals just in the wild there. Um, what's your favorite like local species to where you are?
1: Um. I've just moved cities uh, like recently. So here there's a very beautiful bird sanctuary just like two hours away. And there's so many uh, migratory birds that come there. Um, I really uh, hadn't seen these before. And I stayed in New Delhi before this. So grew up in New Delhi, which which is the capital of India. And now I've moved to uh, Pune, which is a small city in Maharashtra. So there's a bird sanctuary here. And I think uh, even if we don't go to the word sanctuary, my favorite uh, urban wildlife around me are the fruit bats that visit this huge mango tree that's right outside my window. And every night we'll hear like a big top, and we'll know, okay, the bat has landed. Now the bat's going to go look around for mangoes. And uh, I just love observing them here. Yeah. Um, I've taken care of bats myself, so I'm very, I have a soft corner for bats. I'm a uh, a bat rehabilitator when I'm not in the jungle. So, uh, yeah, so I I absolutely love bats. And watching this one, uh, this one bat that loves this tree outside my window is my favorite pastime. (laughs) Especially during the lockdown, especially during the lockdown, there were like parakeets during the day and bats at the night. So even though I couldn't go to the jungle and I have never been indoors for this long ever in my life. <laughs> so so watching these uh, bats used to bring me a lot of uh, comfort.
0: <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I love bats. That's very cool. Um, so, you know, you talk about spending time in the jungle and you're out there filming animals and stuff. I know that every shoot's going to be a little different, but in general, what is it like living out there as you're trying to to film, you know, red pandas or or anything out in the jungle?
1: I think it brings me a lot of uh, contentment and peace. And you know, the first time I went into a jungle, and I just the uh, Took a whiff of these beautiful smells, the jungle smells. I knew that this is where I belong, and this is what I want to keep doing. And I feel that every time I go there, it just my schedule improves. Otherwise, I'm a night owl, but in a jungle, I can wake up at six a.m. And it just, just uh, feels like I'm connected to nature, we're one. It just blends in a way, beautiful way. And this is very weird, but I'm usually Usually, even if I fall sick in the cities, if I'm in a jungle, I just, I'm just okay. It just, everything, it's like a reset button. I am in my element. I feel like I'm really a jungle baby. And having said that, sometimes when you're checking for uh, seven hours a day, then I do question myself that, oh, is this really the life I chose for myself? But when you finally see the animal and you're able to tell these beautiful stories and create an impact on people, change people's perception about my life, then it all sort of uh, makes it worth it. <laughs> and, you know, this is for the long haul.
0: <laughs> so that's um that's a beautiful and diplomatic answer. But come on, when you're out in the jungle, and I'm not saying you don't love it. I get that you love it. <laughs> but are you sleeping in tents do you have bathrooms do you get to bathe like what is it like when you're out there just as a human to my listeners who are who are sitting you know comfortably in their car or or house right now listening what is it like when you're out in the jungle for 2 weeks
1: <laughs> okay then your listeners are going to be uncomfortable now because uh... <laughs> The, the dirty stories are coming out. <laughs> we sometimes uh this one village I went to had no bathrooms because it, it's so cold up there that uh, they have to conserve water. so there are they don't take a shower ever. <laughs> I don't know how that works, but <laughs> there was no bathroom uh, so for 12 days I did not take a shower and uh surprisingly, i didn't feel the need to i mean i didn't feel dirty at all because it was just also fresh but uh, i think on the 12th day my hair started uh, developing dreadlocks and i had to i had to take a shower and then uh, it started raining so i was like okay never mind i'm just going to like get soaked in the rain and that was like my natural shower and uh, once i woke up in a pool of my own blood, and I was I was wondering, Oh my god, what has happened? Where did I get hurt? Turns out, this like couple of leeches were attached to my ankle, and oh. they were like having a feast uh, the entire night. And that old, they were so full of my blood that like they couldn't even move. <laughs> I was like, a, Somebody had a good night, but th- those were the sweetest leeches I've met because after that, I've gone to places. Where uh the leeches actually sting and you can feel them biting and usually like the first ones I met, I couldn't even feel them there, so they were just like happily feasting. But the Western when I went in West um when I went and shot in the Western Ghats, those leeches get everywhere. I found some in my armpit. I found some like uh my fellow camera woman found one. Uh, stuck inside her navel. I don't know how they get there, <laughs> but they are vicious and they are everywhere. They're like waiting to attack you. And oh god, uh, yeah, I think I am not a fan of leeches. So the and then our uh, rooms would smell of blood every time we went back and hung our clothes. <laughs> so, this is getting, you wanted this to be uncomfortable. This oh, no,
0: this, worse. yeah, no, this is <laughs> what I want. I want people to know what you're really, like, one of the things that I love sharing on this <laughs> podcast is what people put up with for their love of animals. And it doesn't take your passion <laughs> away. But, um, you know, uh, I, I've told the story on the podcast, so I probably won't put this all in there, but um, a, a zoo near me that I, I love flooded. The, the whole bottom section of it flooded. And um, I went and helped them clean up the next day. And I was in the otter pool cleaning it out. And I was in a swan pool. And I had at least, at least four types of poop on me by the time I got home. Yeah. And I was so tired. And I worked so hard that day that I fell asleep at 7 PM. And I'm like you, I'm a night owl. Um, <laughs> I, I couldn't even like function anymore. Uh, but, but it, that just shows how much you love these animals and how much it matters to you. I wasn't upset. I was happy the whole time. I I felt great. I've been bragging to people that I had otter poop on me. And normal people are like, what is wrong with you? And I'm like, no, it was it was otter poop. It was so cool. I was helping otters. <laughs> <laughs> wait, um,
1: wait till you get attacked by leeches. You won't be so happy about it. <laughs> then, fair, fair. No. <laughs> So, oh, and then we had a tick attack and those ticks, like, you can't even see them and then they bite you and then it's so dangerous because you can, like, develop tick fever. But, and we used to, like, be shooting and, like, the minute we cut, we would all just be scratching everywhere because it's just so impossibly hard to resist and, that's all we could think about. When are we gonna stop shooting? When are we gonna stop rolling? And then the minute the director said cut, it just we all go back to scratching. It was, oh, is really hard. But um, and yeah, trekking for us with all that equipment is uh, not easy. We we were uh, once shooting these uh, purple frogs in the Western Ghats, and these frogs uh, only come out they live underground for the whole year they only come out for three to five days uh in the entire year only to mate and then they like go back so fine like catching them in that like one that period when they're out was uh so difficult and challenging and you have to do that uh during peak monsoon so it's pouring everywhere you and we had to trek on like Uh, really unstable ground with our equipment and and like all the cameras wrapped in uh, waterproof material with one hand um, uh, with an umbrella in one hand and then scratching with the other hand like trying to flick off leeches while trying to mind your step and that wasn't easy. I I took a fall on my back and like I was in bed rest for three months after that because oh, wow. my spinal cord went for a dodge. But those are the kind of things. And I happily tell the story that I it's fine. I broke my back looking for an endangered frog, so <laughs> no problem. That's a cool <laughs> story at least. <laughs> but. but yeah, I would, I would do all of that again. Although I'm not sure about the leeches but but I know <laughs> some of the best animals are found in leech-infested jungles, so it's fine.
0: <laughs> I love that you're more bothered by the leeches than by breaking your back. It's <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's amazing. So oh. to to be a little less gross for a second. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, one of the biggest problems facing animals today is human animal conflict uh and mm-hmm. and i know that you um in india you know king cobras are there and i know that that can be a problem and i believe you did a was it a film or a series of shorts or something about um the the human animal conflict with king cobras so tell me about that mm-hmm. project and what your goals were and and how that how that went for you
1: Right, yeah, that was a very beautiful project. So, uh, what we did was uh, this was for a uh, we were shooting a television series for Animal Planet and Discover Discovery, sorry, and um, one of the episodes was in king cobras. So, uh, the organization that we were working with uh, called Madras Crocodile uh, Trust Bank, and sorry, Madras Crocodile Bank Trust and uh, Eastern Kanspila Society. We sort of had a deal with them that, okay, you help us with the shoot. And uh, in return, we'll help you raise awareness about this uh, human-wildlife conflict. And what we did was through the footage of the main series, because a television series has to be made a certain way uh, and the formats are different. So what we did was like, uh, we took that footage and turned it around into an educational film. Then, using stuff from uh, what we had shot and uh, user-generated content and st- uh, stock footage that the organization had, they made like a sweet little uh, educational film. And I edited it in a way that would uh, appeal to the local crowds, the farmers there. And the main story was that Agumbe is a village in Karnataka, in India, where. Uh, people have been coexisting with king cobras. So because there's this rescue team and there's a research station there and they call them whenever they find a king cobra instead of killing them at sight. What happens in the Eastern guards and like other parts of the conflict areas is because king cobras are the longest venomous snakes. people just get scared at the sheer sight of them and then they want to protect themselves and then they just end up killing them. But the truth is that king cobras... Uh, will not bite uh, when unprovoked they'll just like they have no interest in coming near us they will just walk away so or like slither away sorry (laughs) (laughs) so uh, uh, so this we showed the story of Agumbe to people in other areas of conflict and showed them that it is possible to coexist with king cobras and these are just People like you, these are farmers who are just calling for help instead of killing them. And uh, we showed beautiful uh, animal behavior there that king cobras uh, make nests unlike other snakes. They take care of the babies and uh, uh, like they're so fascinating. They, like, they, they do this little uh, combat dance, which is very fascinating. And people in Agumbe actually stand right in close proximity and watch the, the, whenever this dance spectacle is happening. And just seeing images like those where people are okay standing next to king cobras and the king cobras are not you know, attacking them because the people are not troubling them. Uh, something like that can have a huge impact on the way people behave in uh, the areas with conflict. So I think... Uh, uh, and then we dubbed this film in like local languages and showed it there. And uh, this film online right now has almost a million views because people are just so fascinated. They're like, We've never seen King Cobras in this light. We've always thought that, like, the media and Bollywood uh, films always portray these snakes as like revengeful, uh, uh, they want vengeance, and they're like always out there to strike. But they haven't seen this softer side of King Cobras before. So I think uh, this was a lovely uh, little project. And um, we got a, got an email a few months ago from uh, Rom Whittaker, who heads Madras Crocodile Bank Trust. And he said that in Eastern Ghats, when uh, Moorthy showed the film to the farmers there, they've started getting rescue calls now, which was amazing, like a direct result of uh, all the work that they've been doing. And this is such a huge win for, both the organizations so and maybe we had a small role to play in that but amazing how uh just films are so powerful to create like a behavioral change
0: stunning just just what a kudos that's just such a cool story i just i love that i just i love it i have nothing else to say i love it great work amazing <laughs> um so what's next for you
1: um uh yeah that's that's an interesting one because i'm uh trying to make my first feature film now uh a feature-length documentary uh, and it, this time it's even harder than red pandas because uh, this time i'm after a species that's gone extinct in the wild and but we have like reports and we're working with a scientist who's seen them in the wild so we're gonna like find evidence film them in the wild for the first time and uh, sort of push science to strengthen their conservation efforts because we're going to show that we have proof like you know can we all work towards conserving them now because they're not extinct so uh that's the plans
0: can you tell me what species it is
1: not yet (laughs) but okay that's fair
0: (laughs) that's fair oh we'll we'll have some mystery that's fine that's
1: cool (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You have me so
0: curious right now, though.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You'll find out if you get funding for the film. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Awesome. Very uh, cool. Well, good luck with that. I really hope that it it works out for you.
1: Thank you so much. All right. uh, Yeah, we're going to soon move to Canada. We'll see. Very cool.
0: Um, so at this time, I, I like to kind of open up the floor. If there are any conservation organizations you want to give a, a shout out to or just any humans, any animals, floor is yours if you have any message you want to share.
1: Oh, lovely. So definitely Red Panda Network, where I started the journey with. They're doing some incredible uh, work with red bears and uh, especially for habitat restoration because what happens is that um, as humans we're more uh, especially as policymakers are more focused on uh, species-centric conservation but uh, the need of the hour is habitat focused conservation because if we protect the habitats the species are going to thrive and i don't know about the states but uh, in india a lot of uh The habitats are getting destroyed for uh, uh, unsustainable development. And uh, the government is saying that, oh, they care about species. They care about only the megafauna, charismatic uh, tigers and elephants. But what happens to these lesser known species is uh, not in the limelight. So uh, I think habitat protection right now is the need of the hour because uh, we are destroying habitats faster than uh, ever before and our uh, human interferences causing species decline at rates that have been faster than ever before. So mm, I think if collectively all the policy could understand this little secret that just protect the habitats let the forest be alone and we will manage to protect the species we don't need to go and save species as such they will thrive on their own just like let their wild spaces be wild spaces so that's a message that I love to give out to people if uh, people like us we can always uh, push policymakers everyone like everyone who's listening if you hear about any area around you getting destroyed for uh, some unsustainable development that we don't need then you raise your voice, right, to your policymakers. We've been writing a lot of letters and uh, signing campaigns and creating pressure, but um, on the government for like stupid things that they want to make, and which makes no sense. Like uh, there are better ways without cutting through a forest. Like you don't need to cut hectares and hectares of land to uh, create something. But yeah. Um, and uh, apart from that, individuals, uh, there's so many uh, individuals working at the grassroots, um, I would say, like, let's take a step back from the big organizations and also look at these uh, people working at the grassroots, these local communities and their role in protecting species and I'm sure there are like so many indigenous communities around you who have like a unique connection with nature. And I think if we can all identify such people and uh, communities and support them directly, then um, that'll have a huge, uh, that'll make a huge difference as well.
0: Very cool. Great message. I love that. And then uh, the final thing is the Rasafari poop story. So go ahead.
1: Okay, so um I know most of you would have seen red panda poop, but has anyone tasted red panda poop? <laughs> <laughs> I can say I have. I was very curious. <laughs> it smells delicious. Uh, <laughs> not something I would recommend, but I mean you can't. Uh, no, no, you can. You can definitely take a sniff, but. I guess you shouldn't eat it. It just smells really delicious. And uh, (laughs) next... (laughs) I don't think you can say that about a lot of uh, poops. Uh, No, if if you get a chance and you have... So when we were trekking through the forest, that's the first sign of... uh, seeing that a red panda is around either you look for nibbles on the bamboo shoots or you uh, look for bamboo leaves or you look for uh, a red panda poop if poop is then you have to like touch it and see if it's fresh enough then they're around because like tigers they don't leave um, scratch marks or scat on the ground you have to like look for scat on trees so yeah we, we we touched and smelled a lot of poop and it was amazing. I'm not gonna lie. (laughs) Sounds disgusting, but it's not. (laughs) But, yeah, we were, I think that's one of the things that Menuka and I bonded over also because she's like, this woman is mad. (laughs) She's like, why is she, why is she smelling poop? What is wrong with you guys?
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's the hardest that's I have like. laughed during a a, a safari poop story. That's that's amazing. Uh, for those of you that are, are listening oh. to this, I just I wish that you could see Gujan's face as she was telling this story because she lit up. <laughs> she is so excited about red panda <laughs> poop. She is so happy. It is so obvious. It's amazing. <laughs> well,
1: <laughs> That's hilarious.
0: well thank you so much for doing this i am i'm so excited and um we need to figure out the details to uh to do a, a screening of uh a, a firefox guardian for for people so let's let's work that out now that we've, sure, we've sure. gotten this in i want to make that happen real soon okay
1: mm-hmm. definitely definitely and thank you so much for having me this is probably the most fun i've had in a podcast it's <laughs> so much fun. And thank you for, yeah, your lovely questions and and doing this at two a.m. For like people who don't know this, it's like three a.m. now where yep. John is. So, well, thank you. That's like worth some it. lovely Very dedication towards pandas.
0: <laughs> All right, so. Obviously, this is the part where I tell you to go check out links and Instagram accounts and all that good stuff. And before I share Gunjan's information, I'm going to make sure that I say go check out redpandanetwork.org and at redpandanetwork on the social medias. Um, Obviously, this is a charity that I talk about a lot and that I love and that Gunjan loves. uh, But beyond that, I am now officially a writing and communications volunteer for Red Panda Network, And I am so proud of the fact that my first written piece has been published at redpandanetwork.org. If you go and check out my link tree on Instagram at Rossafari, you can find the link directly to the article, or you can find it on the blog section of redpandanetwork.org. So make sure you go and check that out and give it a read. I'm really proud of it and so excited to be partnering with this incredible organization. You can check Gunjan out online uh, on Instagram at Book gunjunglebook, G-U-N-J-U-N-G-L-E-B-O-O-K, and on Gunjan.myportfolio.com online. Definitely take some time and seek out some of this amazing woman's incredible work. And don't forget, the easiest way to seek out her amazing work is to, if you are listening to this on the day it came out, Thursday, February 11th, tune in to the Safari Facebook at 7 or 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time to watch my live screening of the Firefox Guardian. I'll be doing a little intro and uh, taking some questions and comments afterwards, and I am just so excited to share this amazing film with you all. So yeah, check it out, 7 and 10 p.m. on the 11th Eastern Standard Time. I hope to see you all there. All right, y'all, I know you're waiting for them. They're not quite as exciting as seeing a red panda in the wild for the first time, or so I'm told, but here they come. The Steiderk. Well, that's our show for this week. I hope you enjoyed listening as much as I enjoyed making it. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan Burke and John Rossi. Listen and subscribe on any podcast app. Please take the time to leave a review as it helps other people find our podcast. You can find Rossafari on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Rossifari, on the web at rossifari.com, or email me directly at RossafariPod at gmail.com. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.